We're not doing it live. We're not doing it live. Hello and welcome to Polyhedron, your multifaceted podcast for everything RPG related. I am your host, Matthew, and we're not in the same room. Guys, no, we're what not. the fuck's going on? I'm so confused. Life is complicated. Yes, life is very complicated. Guys, yes, I don't we... even think I was here for this one, so I don't know what the hell happened. <laughs> no, you yeah. weren't. You, we missed you terribly. I, I kind of believe you. <laughs> I just only sort of kind just of believe you. Just a little believe you. Yes, audience, uh, we are sort of recording very heavily out of order, and so we have to do this part digitally, and so by the power of the internet, uh, we are recording now, um, and so we... Uh, so it's going to be a very special episode because a little bit, you're going to get a very cool interview. A very cool interview. Yeah, we did an interview with Tara M. Clapper. Uh, she is the head of the Geek Initiative LARP Studios. Mm-hmm. She does digital LARPs, like online video chat based LARPs, mostly sci-fi. Uh, and she was awesome. She was the GM for Cyberpunk Night City, uh, the portion that I was a part of. Uh, which was super fun, and she's super cool and talented, and she's pushing like the tech uh, and like sort of the the experimental space of what LARPing is pretty far into the envelope. Yeah, because we, we I bring this up in the interview, and no spo- real spoilers here. I learned a few things. I learned a few things about what it means to LARP digitally, which is mm-hmm. interesting. Um, but regardless, how's everyone gaming going? Oh, lovely. Yeah, we started Scion. Oh yeah, that's pretty fun. Uh, I'm I'm liking it. Um, I'm liking seeing the story path system like in its various iterations. Mm-hmm. Vampire's been going really good. I've had a really good session uh, with uh, the group last uh, time, and then I had a nice side session uh, with Matthew and one of the players, uh, Mo Ferrer. Um, and that was uh, that was a fun session. And that it's was... on my it's on my Patreon. So give me a buck. And you get to hear some some really wrong, like transgressive vampire romance. Oh no, like, that sounds it's awful. Not, it's not bad. It's not a bad thing. It's just oh, it's spicy in all the wrong ways. Yeah, um, but it's very cool. So give Scott a buck. Listen to it. It's great. I have. I want to listen to it too. I haven't listened to it yet. Um, yeah, apparently it, uh, Mo is uh, tonight. She's like when she gets home to her house. All the all of her housemates are gonna like sit and watch it together. It's <laughs> uh, great. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't wait to hear. Yeah, hear back looking forward to it. Um, yeah. So, Ryan, what about your gaming? Any good? You obviously uh, Scion. Anything else? I like Scion. Scion, good. Never after, Scion. forever. Uh, we need to do some Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> oh God, point. do we? And uh, just play an ungodly amount of Diablo three for now. Mm-hmm. Scratching that itch. Hit yeah. That button. You hear that little tang. The legendaries drop and it's just a beautiful Skinner box that you just keep, <laughs> you just pound it over and over again. There's just, no challenge whatsoever. It's wonderful. You press the lever and the cocaine pellet comes oh, out. God, yep. only what? Sorry. What? <laughs> uh, no, uh, for my gaming, it's been pretty good. Been running some interesting sessions of Wrath and Glory, which have been really great. I did the thing with Scott uh, concerning uh, Burn It Down, uh, and obviously, I've actually started running not one, not two, but six of my friends through Scion. Oh dear God, what am I doing? <laughs> You're crazy, man. Um, we appreciate it. Yeah, six yeah, is no, like fun. my max table. Like six is my max table that I will handle. Thankfully, it's, Same. A, it's a good table. 
Yeah. yeah. So I'm interested to see this is sort of supposed to be a short run of that uh, a one story arc and see where things go from there. Um, but let's move on to the news, everyone. There's been a couple little blips of things that have been happening. Um, my first one that I liked, uh, uh, I read through the Monday notes, uh, Monday meeting notes up for Onyx Path, and they just went recently went to a UK expo, so they didn't have a lot of like update because they didn't have a full meeting. Something they hinted at because it was a logo is called uh, the Story Path Nexus, which yeah. Which hints at a lot of just like the DMs guild for Dungeons and Dragons, just like Storyteller's Fault for White Wolf stuff. Looks like we're getting, they're doing the same treatment, which is you will be able, fans will be able to produce content, put it up on whatever drive through RPG probably, and be able to produce content that fa- other people can pay for, and you'll get a cut of the profits, and they'll get cut of the profits. No that problem. sounds really cool. I'm looking forward to that. I might start making Aeon stuff. Do it. Do it. You know so much about it. I do. It's true. And they, they're great. They're great content developers, but they cannot meet the pace of like what fans can kind of just like start mm-hmm. doing because they'll go f- full tilt with it. Full throttle. Yep. I'm super looking forward to that. That's cool. Uh, they're putting out a Sea of Thieves RPG. Hmm. Which is interesting, uh, because uh, there seems to be just, like, pirates abound. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, they just put out Ghosts of Salt's March yep. for D&D, which has all the ship rules and, and all that stuff. Yeah, I got that. Uh, cool. Tell us how that is when you're done. I shall. Uh, also, semi-related to that, because they're doing the Descendant to Avernus. Uh, which is like the the hell supplement for yeah. D and D. They have modifications of the ship rules that they put in Gold's Assault March for like Mad Max behemoth hell vehicles. Uh, hell yeah, I'm like, completely down for this. Like you run around like the desert wasteland of Avernus uh, in fucking Mad Max Howl's moving castles. And there are rules for having your own. Was it? What was yeah. that? What was that Del Toro movie that just came out? Oh, um, it was, wasn't Del Toro. It was uh, it was uh, Peter Jackson. It was Mortal Engines. That movie uh, was Jackson. so stupid. Yeah. yeah, but it just that's also when he said like Mag Max, like like house things, and I'm like, mm-hmm. that's what I started thinking. Pretty much. <laughs> um, yeah, pirates also abound because we also had the Kickstarter for Pirates of Pugmire is going That's right true. now. Um, pirates everywhere. Everyone, everyone a pirate pirate. Uh, it's resurged. I gave my five bucks. Yep. Um, uh, I actually, you didn't talk about the news. I thought you were going to talk about Scott. Oh, what was I going to talk about? The Telltale game. Oh yeah, or that's Telltale right. Telltale style game. Telltale style game. So I believe we mentioned it last time. Uh, but uh, so there's going to be a sort of mystery adventure style game uh, from uh, the people who did the council in the Vampire License. But then they just released something called uh, Vampire Coteries of New York, which is a like true Telltale style like narrative adventure game that is set in New York and it's like Cam versus Anarchs. And that's interesting as hell. I'm hoping that that's going to be good. That sounds super dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's a perfect fit, and I just I am super excited because they seem to be really pushing this license out the door with rapidity, and I'm I just hope that 
they are being careful with it and giving it to people who they've properly vetted who can make quality stuff. Yep. Uh, don't go the way of Games Workshop because for yeah, many, I mean, many give- years they just started vomiting up product and some of that product wasn't so good. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know that that I I can't fault them for that model um, because you know oh no someone made a bad game but it means that some some people make a good game mm-hmm. and then you know I'll rely on the the the, the whims of the re- reviewers and we'll figure out what's good and what's not and as long as they get a couple good games I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can see that, but I mean, I but there's also. Be- yeah, go ahead. There's also, you know, Vampire Bloodlines too. That oh yeah, mm. I, we have all five of our main clans that we know of that yep. are the standard ones you're going to get in the game. I'm a little sad they're not more of them. Yeah, Gangrel and Nos are not in the main. They're probably going to be DLC, um, which is Typical. troubling. Yeah, it's the model that you're just going to start getting DLC for. For I love it when they sell us a game that's not done. That's my favorite. <laughs> well, I don't know if we're going to be I don't I don't think it's going to be an unfinished game. I think that they are they are explicitly leaving parts out in order to sell as DLC. I don't think we're going to get a buggy unfinished game. It's just going to be not as complete as it could be. I I feel that those are kind in my book those are the same sin. Like, Fair enough. Cutting yeah. out hunks of your game just to sell me more stuff is because the game should really cost like eighty bucks. That's really what it should cost. I, I and mm-hmm. I know that. And if they were just be honest about it, like just just be honest about it. I know yeah. no one would pay it for some fucking reason, but if, except well, we're they would. The game should be sixty bucks, but you know, meh. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So no, interesting news. Yeah, um, a lot of really good stuff. A little low key, but some very important stuff. Um, so let's get. There's right. also a shit ton of like vampire card and board games that yeah. are being released as well. Yeah, and then uh, there is uh, we'll well I'll leave this for patron content just because it has to do with Magic Gathering. That that's strictly Ooh. an RPG. Uh, but yeah, there's some news on that front too. So let's get right into this interview. It was super great to have Tara on. I've learned a lot. And I will have links for all the stuff that she talks about in the show notes. Please check her out. She's great. And you won't have to hear my voice. Indeed, that is a bonus. Let's get <laughs> let's get let's get into that space. Yeah. Bye. Hello, uh, Scott. Uh, I think we have a special guest here in the not in the studio. I should say we do indeed, and it's not just my cat. <laughs> no, it's not just your cat with a cone of shame. <laughs> Uh. It, it is a good uh, friend of the show, someone who we've, Scott has recently met that we thought would be uh, a very interesting interview for everyone to hear. Uh, her name is Tara Clapper. She was the online GM for Cyberpunk. Um, uh, the Cyberpunk Night City. Night City. I was about to say Night in Question, and I'm like, that's another thing. No, that's thing. a whole other thing. <laughs> uh, Tara, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Excellent, Tara. Um, so, you were the online game master. So, obviously, uh, Night City had a lot of different games. Were you the only online game master? And what is the online game master? Yeah, I was the main game master for the online experience. And I was communicating with a couple team members on the ground. But I was running everything online. And then I had Shana Cook assist me. And they were there as a second GM because we did run 
I think about seven hours by the time we were done. So that's, it's kind of a two GM job. Mm -hmm. So I basically ran the online portion of the LARP, meaning all of our players were remote. We were all connected via Google Hangout and we had some resources and information to share with the players on the ground. So this kind of LARP works or this kind of implementation works really well. With any kind of LARP where you have technology as part of the game, and obviously cyberpunk is one of the best genres for that. Mm -hmm. I can understand that, totally. Um, And Scott, you were a player. Yes, I most certainly was. Um, So that, obviously, as I said earlier, that's how we, how Scott met Tara and got her on the show. Um, So let's back it up a little bit. That's very interesting information, Tara. What, um, so let's get some background on you about when you got started in gaming, I'm going to bet it is high school, because um, that's what almost everyone says, uh, and like where your interest in role-playing is and where what you like about it. I've been a storyteller for as long as I can remember. So I've wanted to be a writer since I was about eight. When I was in uh, like middle school, I wrote the sequel to Jurassic Park before Michael Crichton did. <laughs> And so storytelling is kind of my entrance into gaming. I always liked games in general, but when I was younger, uh, a lot of those kinds of games were like for guys. So I was lucky to have a Nintendo and a personal computer, but I didn't really have the same entrance into tabletop role-playing games that some game designers have. Um, I played it once or twice, but I actually got into live-action role-playing, I think my first experience was probably in about 2005, Mm -hmm. when I met up with a group of people that I role-played with online, just text-based role-playing, and we all did an in-character banquet. So that was technically my first experience there, and I can remember even as a fourth grader, uh, we did, I went, I was very fortunate to go to a preparatory school in the Philadelphia area and they did a lot of hands-on history stuff. And so we had a whole uh, industrial revolution, um, live action experience basically where we were supposed to play characters from that era and vote on really important issues like workers' rights. So mm-hmm. I've kind of had that in my background, but I, I, kind of come at it from more of a storytelling perspective and I do a lot of them that in some of my other jobs too because I'm also in marketing so storytelling is pretty much everything I do oh no that's very cool sounds very cool um that, that's that's interesting uh, sorry you told me about like your preparatory school and sort of the living history it just reminded me of the South Park episode where terrorists <laughs> take over this like Turn of the century town, and no one can ever break character, no matter what. Uh, that's um, that's just have running through my head now. No, but it's really cool. So, 2004 was like when you really started getting into LARPing. So, you kind of, from what it sounds like, you did a lot of live action before you actually did like tabletop stuff. Yeah, mm. I I'm kind of a weirdo who did writing and theater and music before I did the the role playing and didn't really come at it from the tabletop angle. So I did one or two things kind of back then, you know, more of like theater style, I guess, um, LARP experiences. And then in 2008, I really started to get into 
uh, American Fantasy Boffer Combat, and oh, wow. yeah, I started as a Boffer LARPer. My very first game uh, was very PvP, and I so I, I feel like I kind of learned the hard stuff first. Um, I always have an easier time going into a more Nordic style game and and like crying for you know a whole <laughs> weekend than I do like you know getting beaten down with Boffer weapons. Um, so I feel like I learned the hard stuff first. And I'm also, I'm from the Philadelphia area, and now that I live down here in Virginia, I'm learning that, like, the Philly, New Jersey, Boffer scene has, like, a reputation for being a little, like, harder hitting with the Boffer weapons. Mm -hmm. I've gone to some stuff down here, and I'm like, oh, wow, like, you say lightest touch, and you really mean lightest touch. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I kind of experienced the hard stuff first, and then um, a group of friends decided we wanted to start a game called Seventh Kingdom IGE, which has been running for more than 10 years now. It's about to have its final game. And I was their initial marketing director. So my entrance into marketing also kind of started through LARP. So I'd only played maybe two or three LARPs. And then I was marketing a new LARP with $0 budget. And I recruited one of our first LARPers who was still in the LARP community through free cycle because <laughs> they hmm. had no budget. So I kind of was doing, you know, whatever I could and digital marketing was also really new back then. So it mm. was kind of trial and error. Well, yeah, it was very cool. It, it, by, by zero money, you mean negative money because that's how that works. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, uh, you're kind of the weirdo we love because, uh, my wife is actually uh, a lot like you. Uh, she was she majored in, um, music and she was a band nerd and, her friends in college got her like, what it come out and play this Buffalo LARP with us. And that's how I met her. And then we introduced her later to normal LARP, like non buffer LARPing and then like tabletop stuff. So she did it kind of in that reverse order. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And I know that's, that's super weird for a lot of people in college. I was exposed to a little bit of the, the vampire LARP scene. I went to school in Maryland. So it was kind of like in the Baltimore area. And mm-hmm. back then it was, I could just tell there were a lot of red flags. So I never <laughs> actually went to an event. Yeah. I just got to listen to all of the, the tales of assault and abuse and decided, yeah, I don't think I want to go to that. That sounds creepy. So I ha- obviously I have a very, very different experience from Atlanta. I'm a male. It's, uh, uh when I went, it was, I, I guess I just wasn't aware of some of the stuff and, most of it was just in play, out of play drama. It was less, less very icky stuff and more just bullshit, <laughs> as it were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I had like these various experiences where I feel like I could have fully jumped in, and then I never really did until I discovered Boffer uh, Combat. And you know, that was there were some rough points uh, in that experience mm-hmm. too. But like I said, I'm actually kind of, I'm kind of glad that I got that stuff first because. Some of the tougher things that I've experienced in LARP actually happened then and actually happened, you know, when I was in my 20s as opposed yeah. to now. Yeah, it's it's it, it, it prepares you. It's definitely the deep end. Scott would know this, right? Oh, yeah, big time. Uh, yeah, that actually uh, to that, that sort of brings us more to the meat of the subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe we, we had a, a brief exchange about... Uh, the virtues of virtual LARP for the old and broken. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, so you started, when did you start doing virtual LARPs? Uh, a few years ago. The very first time I really kind of did that was I had two friends from 
that I met at New World Magiscola, and we wanted to do our, a follow-up scene that took place in, uh, like, in the ether, right? Mm-hmm. So on the astral plane. And so we got together. We're all in different locations, but we got together virtually. And my character was, like, obsessed with being on the astral plane. Her tagline was, like, hey, astral plane and chill, right? So, like, <laughs> everyone had to go to, like, find her. And so I had all the lights out. I had my computer screen on and I had a candle next to me. And I just set this atmosphere that I was really lost. And they roleplayed coming to find me. And uh, so that was kind of like our experiment with it. And then what happened from there was I realized I really liked the accessibility of it. Um, first of all, you didn't have to go anywhere. You didn't have to pay a lot of money. Yep. And secondly, uh, you know, with different health issues I have and that others have, you don't have to do a lot of physical stuff to necessarily participate. So that uh, I could see that being a win right away. And then when I lost my job, all my friends were like, it's your time to like run a LARP. And I was like, that's cool, but running a LARP takes... <laughs> money and resources, which is exactly what I don't have now. And I was like, or I could just run it online and you could just buy a ticket and show up. And they were like, okay. So that's how I started Chariot LARP, which is my sci-fi game. Uh, cool. Cool. What's uh, give, give us the elevator pitch of Chariot LARP. Cause that sounds sure. awesome. Chariot LARP is a sci-fi genre digital LARP where you play a character who is meeting the people they are going to spend the rest of their lives with on a spaceship leaving Earth. Hmm. So it's kind of a, a, a post-apocalyptic scenario, but there's also hope because it's like we're all still on Earth, we're meeting each other, and we're like humanity's last chance. And some of the player-originated story from Chariot LARP is that the whole Chariot program was actually crowdfunded. Um, by a philanthropist kind of spearheaded that. And so there are every run that I did of that, um, was a different ship. So now there's like, it's all continuity, right? So now there's like one ship out there that's actually, um, uh, more of a military crew. And there's Mm -hmm. another one out there. Like we deliberately did an all woman run. Uh, my friend Corey ran a game where it was an all a run of all people of color, and that was like a more hopeful run. So there are all these different chariots out there now who are all going to the same planet, and it leaves a lot for the story to develop. And it's intergenerational, so we role-played the first generation that's leaving Earth, but it leaves a lot of uh, unexplored territory for... Things that happen in transit, the generation that never sees Earth or their destination, and then, of course, the first people to, to land there, and anything that happens in between. So, mm. aliens, crash landing on planets, whatever. So, like, yeah, that sounds like you're really sort of charting new ground in, in, the, in the LARP space. Uh, so, what did you find out soon that you didn't know you weren't going to know? If that makes sense. <laughs> what, did, what did I find out that worked? Or, or like, what, what were the what were the problems that you ran, started running into that you just couldn't anticipate because this was a totally new thing? Uh, well, a lot of the uh, signals we use, especially the safety signals that we use in LARP, are one-to-one. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of LARPs use the OK check-in, where you make the OK symbol with your hand to out-of-game check-in quickly with another player. 
obviously, if there's more than two people role-playing and someone makes that sign, even if you see it, since there's no audio cue, uh, who, who is it directed at, right? Hmm. So we had to solve some critical safety issues really quickly. And we did that by including text-based messaging mm-hmm. in the play. So we do a lot of out-of-game check-ins there. The other thing immediately I noticed, we use the look down, just like you use in a lot of in-person LARPs where you put your hand over your eyes or over like on your forehead, like you're shielding your eyes from the sun. And that kind of lets you duck out of a scene without people kind of interrogating you about it. But if you just do that really quickly and walk away from your computer, people are still going to be like, where did they go? (laughs) So I realized I had to ask people to if they could hold their hand there for like 10 seconds or so. Mm. Um, so, and then uh, cut was the other one, which is what we use to just completely stop role play and, you know, talk about any important out of game needs or emergencies that we have. And at first we were just using uh, the crossed arm symbol, but we also add, made sure to add cut to like the, the, um, the verbal because you kind of need to see and hear it. So, mm. This, for safety, that was, like, a huge thing I noticed right away. Uh, also, the nature of it is that it's not a multiple room LARP. I mean, I'm starting to run multiple room LARPs where you can click into a different hangout to go into a different room. Right. But for the most part, you know, you're all in the same chat in the same room, and people felt really awkward that there were, like, lulls in the conversation and... You know, it wasn't constant action or constant emotion, but it's actually very much like having a real chat with your friends online or with, you know, with other people online for multiple hours, where sometimes there's going to be something exciting going on or new information, and other times you're just hanging out and, like, knitting. So, (laughs) usually anytime it goes more than three hours, uh, I really try to set that expectation, and I think people didn't really know what to do or what to say. And the last thing that I really learned is um, some people really prefer structure and some people like total freeform. Mm -hmm. And as a GM, and I'm still not there all the way there yet, but it's taken me a while to learn how to anticipate what the players need, how to set an expectation, and how to implement the right amount of rules and resources that they can use. It's easier to do when it's just my show and it's just my own game and i'm only worried about the people there um but it it is even more challenging when it's an implementation and you're working with someone else's property with their with their ip and with you know potentially on on the ground players like we did in cyberpunk so it because you know you still need to throw things in there as a gm and um you know like in cyberpunk uh i was allowed to assign players my online players certain resources like currency. Uh, So having kind of hard facts and figures like that, um, even if in some games it doesn't actually mean anything, uh, actually really helps people feel more focused and like solid about their characters. So I've really had to calibrate like how, how much of a rule system I need for some of these things. Cause some of them are too freeform and some of them, the rules were too rigid. So I am trying to make more rule systems that are very light that I can dial up or down as I need to accommodate the players. And one thing I tried in Riders of the Apocalypse, which is the last digital LARP I did of my own creation, I co-wrote with um, with my friend Terry, 
um, we had a schedule set so that there was like a resolution round. So if people wanted to take actions, they could message us out of game. And then we would have a 15 minute break during which the GMs would reconcile those actions, deliver some information, and then we would continue. So it was like very immersive. Then there was this kind of out of game uh, moment where you could take certain actions. And then before we went back in game, it was like we would deliver a little bit of a resolution and then role play the what happened after which I prefer more freeform and immersive play, but some people really like that structure. So I try to provide that now too. Yeah. They, they want sort of like, they need these limitations to help give them a way to focus their action. Exactly. Um, and I can understand that. Like that. Well, you explained like chariot LARP, which by the way, sounds really rad. And I kind of want to do that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like, I could also, I could see that as a tabletop as well. Like you mm-hmm. can render that down into a tabletop and like, okay guys, you are all on a generational ship. You guys have to deal with all of the things of being on a generational ship. Um, also I'm learning some new things because you're obviously from a very different LARP and like ecosystem than I am that we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're already talking about things that I had no knowledge of. Like, yeah, well we, we, I mean, our, our LARPing is mostly uh, lightest touch buffer LARPing, mm-hmm. uh, and we have a lot of the same sort of rules and the same techniques, but we have just different ways of doing it. Of expressing uh, it, yeah. Yeah, of expressing it, just because it's, it's I yeah, guess, it's, I, I it's a separate ecosystem. Yeah, I was originally used to hold instead of cut, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So I started out with that kind of, uh, those kinds of rules, and then when I started going to double exposure events, which are a bunch of conventions held in Morristown, New Jersey. They have, I think, three per year. Uh, When I started going to those events, I started learning these other techniques and systems that are American freeform with a little bit of, like, European-inspired stuff thrown in there as well. The the freeform stuff, the Nordic stuff, is something I'm not very familiar with at all. Like, it's not the thing that I've experienced. So, like, cut, like, the idea of cut and checking in Mm-hmm. Like we, I've never really experienced anything with like that has like terminology and slash like technique that's like that because yeah. it's because we would just put our hand over our head, which is our universal out of play. Yeah, and we kind of let that be the the whole. And we kind of, of we kind of default to that in different types of LARP styles where that isn't necessarily a rule, just because mm-hmm. so many of us have learned that way, and we do it sometimes in. Digital art, which looks really funny because you're just on a screen with like your yeah. hand over your head, you know. Um, yeah, I think I think uh, also the the, the cross fingers. Yeah, uh, that yeah. was more that was a more parlor yeah. convention. Yeah. Um, but so was Night City the first LARP that you uh, were involved with that had both a live and a digital component, or yes, yes, and I'm designing a couple other things in my own IP that are working, that are meant to work that way. But that was the first one like that. And when I do digital LARP, when I run a digital LARP in somebody else's IP, I usually call it like an implementation of some sort. Mm -hmm. But for Cyberpunk, it was truly an implementation because we were taking part in in that game Mm -hmm. that was running, you know, real time on the ground too. So that was really cool, and that was that was the first time I got to do something like that, and it was fantastic. So, what do you, what do you think you learned from that experience as a, as the GM side? I think I learned that as a GM, when I'm doing an implementation, I need more 
like more strict rules and guidelines and limitations on what I can do and what I can't. Um, I was very fortunate that we had, uh, we had contacts that we could go to, like I could go to and talk to and ask those things. Mm -hmm. And I was doing more uh, asking permission instead of asking forgiveness just because the communication level was really good. But we definitely took the story, I think a little bit beyond the original intention. Um, I don't think that we ever intended to have, you know, me channel my character channeling uh, an ominous big bad. That sure. wasn't planned. Not at all. <laughs> I thought I thought that was like the big set piece for the online crew. No. That's awesome that that wasn't planned because that was absolutely the highlight and of I that experience. For it. I was like, I need to give the online players something that no one else is going to get. And that, so I that was, was like, really cool. There were a couple things that I just kind of did and I was like, you know, and that's some trust. And like, I've talked a lot with Matt about game design and you know, how, how games run. So there were a lot of things that I knew I could kind of push and just take ownership of it. That was a biggie. So I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to just like do that and then say, by the way, Mm -hmm. um, but we coordinated it so that, you know, we had it recorded and broadcast and everything. And, uh, that was, that was really something. And that, that's how I GM. Like I Mm -hmm. just try to tell the best story possible for people. And if that's what it takes, it was just kind of like, Look, if this is what it takes and this is where we're going, we're going to go there. And mm-hmm. so uh, that was actually something where they had to pull Matt in and be like, is it okay if Tara does that? You know, they had to get mm-hmm. the okay from him. And I think that was really good collaborative uh, storytelling on all of our parts. But also we had like three or four GMs working on that, including me and Shayna, and just all that typing behind the scenes. It mm-hmm. came together really well. Actually, wanna, I want to go into a little bit more of the logistics here. Um, so first, I'd like to know how you got in touch with Matt and how you got selected to be the head of the online stuff, because obviously that's an important job. It, you're handling in a very different environment than Matt is. He's hands-on, on the boots on the ground sort of situation, more traditional hand, uh, LARPing, and you're doing something in the ether, as it were, um, mm-hmm. And you have to, again, have sort of a level of that autonomy um, to in order to make it fun for all of the online players. I'd also like to know, like, some of the stuff about the history of after you came on board, what was that like? What was it like writing? Obviously, you had experience or Matt wouldn't mm-hmm. have picked you. But, like, what? how much lead up, how much development time did you have? How much uh, sort of pre-scripted stuff did you, like, designed, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, well, it was really, it was a formal process. And of course, Matt Webb of Jackalope Studios, uh, Jackalope LARP Studios, he is really big in LARP and technology and does a lot more than I do in LARP and tech. Uh, I strictly do this kind of online role play facilitation. So we were very much aware of each other. Uh, we've had a lot of out, out of game conversations and discussions and interaction. Um, and even, I guess, you know, just heated discussions on various topics hmm. online. And we have done a couple hangouts and stuff like that, uh, online to just kind of chat about LARP. So we were already pretty familiar, you know, with each other and, and what we could do. And I think like our, our styles. So. He approached me and just kind of said, Hey, do you want to do this 
online implementation thing. I had already been thinking about applying to be a writer. And from there, we communicated on Discord with the writing team. Mm-hmm. And uh, the writers came up with the various groups. And then I sort of developed uh, 12, I think, base character concepts based upon what they had already written. So they made all these factions. Uh, Matt gave me all the source material from the original IP. And then I created these characters and I let our online players pick, I think I said pick three. And then I Mm -hmm. said, I promise you'll get one of, one of those three. Um, because numbers wise, it worked out that I could definitely promise that. And that's how it happened. Oh, yeah, I uh, I know I was I was on that like a like a jackrabbit because I knew <laughs> I knew exactly what I wanted. You replied right away. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, he lives on the internet, so I, I do. Yeah, it's true. Uh, that's that's very cool. So you had you developed these characters so everyone could select. How much? Obviously, did you you obviously Matt and the the that team had sort of the core idea of this is a scenario that we're running for this this one day. Um, how much did you get to inject like your brand of jamming into that story? Uh, but besides besides running, I mean, like this is the pre-story stuff. Um, how much did you get help write all of that and then sort of mold it so that it would be a good experience for young playing players? So they were they were kind of like, how do you see it working? And then in terms of the actual implementation, they mostly worked around me. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the story, I worked around them. Okay. And I actually didn't know a ton. I didn't know a lot more than the players. And I kind of liked it that way. (laughs) Because I am known for game mastering on the fly and reacting and also being like an embedded GM where I'm, you know, also a player, (laughs) uh, which is another reason why I had a second GM so that I could actually enjoy role playing the character that I played, which I did. And uh, so I took a call with Matt like two days before we went over some final details. He gave me some information that I could feed the players or point them towards. But for the most part, I knew just a few plot points and a couple extra pieces of information. There were some other things I came up with on my own that I fed some of the on the ground players as well. Mm. Uh, and just, you know, added stuff in here and there. Um, it's definitely not a GM style for everyone, but I'm very comfortable with kind of storytelling. Um, just as I go, like in writing, they call it like, are you a planner or are you a pantser? Right. And pantsers mm-hmm. do it by the seat of their pants. I like to have some, themes and points I want to hit, but I'm totally a pantser. Yeah. So, and I'm actually like, I end up telling more engaging stories and more collaborative stories when I just have a, a, a framework to go on and just let the story fill itself in. So your, uh, your company, the geek initiative or your project, mm-hmm. is that just you or do you have multiple other people working with you on that? It's primarily me, but Shayna, who was our other GM, they do a lot of the administrative work behind the scenes, some of the design work, um, booking. Uh, Terry Crew, who I mentioned before, he's been doing a lot of the, um, like the actual scheduling stuff. He kind of implemented our cart and checkout system. So I bring contractors on as needed to run content. Uh, for the original chariot, 
I mentioned Corey Seminera. She did the um, the the all play the all people of color uh, run of Chariot, and then Josh Heath from High Level Games actually ran a run as well. And for Chariot, as well as for some of the upcoming ideas that I have, we actually streamed it on Twitch. So oh, that's cool. Yeah, I was one of the first people to stream LARP on Twitch, and I'm definitely the first person to stream uh, continual ticketed campaign games and these LARPs that take place all in the same universe. Oh, that's an interesting idea. I just thought about this. So we have like things like Critical Role, LA by Night. We have these, a lot of people are doing online table topping. Mm-hmm. But what's the difference? Between ta- that that style on Twitch and then doing what you just said on Twitch, where you're doing streaming the LARP on Twitch because everyone's obviously in front of their computers, they yes. have a webcam, they have a audio. My, it's the frequently asked question I get that people never seem to understand, so I'm going to try to describe it and hopefully it makes sense. Educate so me. I want to be educated. Yeah, it's very similar to the difference between being in person and ta- playing a tabletop game Versus being in person and playing a LARP. Okay. So sometimes that line gets blurry. And sometimes the only difference is, are you rolling dice and narrating things? Are you sitting around a table? Like, sometimes the difference is, it's hard to make that differentiation. And I did have a personality, um, somewhat well-known, who does tabletop streaming come to me and say, well, you're just doing exactly what I'm doing. What makes it any different? And I'm like, well, you're sitting there describing what your character's doing, and you're wearing your pretty costume, but you're narrating it. I'm doing free-form live-action play. So I'm not describing to you what my character's doing. We're LARPing face-to-face, just as we would in person. The okay. only difference is that it's not in person. Okay, I think I understand. I think I get what you're what you're putting down. I think Because the idea is the conceit of the game is we are on screens talking mm-hmm. to each other like this. Like if obviously the audience can't see us right now, Usually, but we have, yeah. a, we have yeah. a video chat right now and I can see Tara, I can see Scott and the conceit of an online LARP is we are in front of these screens, in front of these cameras, in front of these microphones, talking to each other and doing what we would do. Or in some other liminal space, yeah. like you said, the ethereal Exactly, realm. exactly. Now, I've done a historical one, and that one, it was called uh, Hellfire and Happiness, which was supposed to be like a Jane Austen kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it was from that era. Obviously, they weren't sitting in front of computers. <laughs> so the premise was that we were all in a parlor for most of the LARP, and... Since I did different runs of it, each run went a different way. The first run went, it skewered really tabletoppy, like very, um, Bluebeard's Bride. Like we were sitting and my character was describing to them different parts of the house. And they were like, I want to explore the, the basement. Yeah. I want to explore the wine cellar. I want to see the attic. And so they wanted me to lead them on this narrative adventure, and we did it that way. It was it was very tabletoppy. Right. Now another run, they went so immersive with it that we would all have the lights dimmed, and I would like hand an object. I would be like, okay, you know, okay, Scott, here's a bracelet, 
And then you would have a bracelet on the other side and take it. Exactly. And we had, oh, okay. we didn't yeah. even plan it, but we had objects like cups and stones and candles that we were doing like that. And we had a contract because um, having a contract with the devil was part of the plot. So we were like passing the paper back and forth. Ooh, sign me up. Yeah. It was really, <laughs> it was really fun. But we find that the most um, comfortable, I think, stories are ones where the technology is part of the LARP. Yeah, so yeah. Cyberpunk is a good example. The screens, the technology, the stream, that's all, that, that technology is part of the LARP itself. Uh, Chariot, the first one, the sci-fi one was the same way. Um, I've also done, I did one about vampires. So the premise for that one, it was called First Bite, Second Birth. And the premise for that is you are a new vampire, you wake up, and you have a laptop in front of you and a link. And you click the link and you're on a hangout with other new vampires and you have to figure out what the hell's going on. Oh, well, that's wow. Cool. Okay. Uh, you can almost do sort of escape roomy stuff yeah. with this sort of interface. It's like, no, the scenario is you're all trapped and the only way to communicate is via these links. Um, exactly. Ooh, uh, sorry, you just have reminded me because you've been talking and talking, and one of the things that keep popping in my head is a Twilight Zone or is an Outer Limits episode, uh, the one from like the '90s and early aughts, where they're all these people are in missile silos, mm-hmm. and like they're they're the last line of defense against aliens. So if aliens take over the world, they just supposed to nuke the planet, and that's it. Uh, and it's all they can see and talk to each other is through these. Yes. Through these monitors. That format, that format is very similar to the one that I've just finished designing, which is uh, kind of ridiculous, but very fun. <laughs> and it's called Lore, which stands yeah. for Live Online Raptor Experience. <laughs> so you and the other participants are on an island populated by dinosaurs. And it nee, takes nee, place nee, in this nee, 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 nee. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> totally not Jurassic Park. <laughs> and it, it takes place in the same world as all my other LARPs do. Yeah. Um, and so you're on one part of the island, so you each control a different thing. So one of you is in the computer center. One of you can control the uh, electric fences. One of you is like the airplane pilot, which is something that I kind of got from, I have the game right here, Forbidden Islands. Mm-hmm. So you have to like, one of you is the pilot and you have to leave. So uh, you can work together or use these intense interpersonal relationships that your characters have to screw each other over mm-hmm. uh, and get off the island. But the cool thing is that I do with most of these LARPs is the continuity extends between runs. So let's say you're playing run one. And run one plays three Saturdays in a row. And another group is playing run two, and run two plays three Sundays in a row. Mm -hmm. What you do in run on your first Saturday affects the Sunday players, and then what they do affects your next session. Oh, yeah. And then once you're done, or if the session isn't full, if you've paid for a ticket for either run after a certain time, you're allowed to come in and role play with the other run. Mm-hmm. So it's very freeform and very interesting. So in with lore, for example, people are at different stations and have different skill sets. So let's say you're like, I don't know, I don't even know what it would be like a dinosaur veterinarian, right? Mm-hmm. So like a dinosaur veterinarian who comes into a group that doesn't have a dinosaur veterinarian could change the course of the game 
by being able to distribute uh, vaccines or tranquilizers mm-hmm. or something like that obviously can impact the game. So it's neat that you can kind of hop between games and it also helps encourage the new players because then the people who have done a session or two can come in and show them how it's done. Oh, yeah. that's how, uh, uh, Scott, I believe the other night because we were playing Scion, uh, told me about lore. And I was super excited when we were going to have you on <laughs> talking about this because I was like, when he explained to me what I was like, lore, I was like, oh, was it like the podcast or is it something somewhere vain? Then you're like, no, it's about raptors and like dinosaurs and being yes. on basically Jurassic Park. And I was like, this is awesome. This is amazing because you're also being like a, like a dinosaur veterinarian. I kind of wanted LARP it where I have like a smock on and occasionally I'll come in with like, I'll be all clean and then come walk walk away from the camera, make some noise, come back, and I've got like blood and oh, stuff beautiful. and like that's like beautiful. a piece of meat in my hand. I'm like, ah, yes. I just had to remove this thing. Uh, what are we doing, guys? <laughs> and let me tell you, the the whole experience of doing Cyberpunk Night City really helped me level up my atmosphere and mm-hmm. Use technology in in a more expansive way. So when I was doing the vampire one, I did things like I would go, I would turn my camera off and come back. One time I came back and I wasn't on screen; I was off to the side, and people were like, "What happened to Elizabeth, my character?" Mm. And she'd been kidnapped by werewolves. Oh okay. shit! And they kind of had to figure out based upon these sounds I was making on the, you know off camera and it's so low tech over here it's mm. me on a macbook air yeah. mm. <laughs> i desperately need to upgrade my computer so i can stream better but it is very low tech and i've learned the simpler i keep it the more authentic it is and then you have players like scott who come in and they're like cool i want to do all these visual effects and it's like great let them do it the more that you can enable the player to do it or rely upon them the better, and a lot of the background conversations that Shayna and I were having as GMs during Cyberpunk was like, oh my gosh, you have so much information coming at us, what do we do? A lot of the times my answer was, have the players figure it out, like, make them do it, yeah. you know, because it gives <laughs> them something to do, and it gives them agency, but it's also like, well, if there isn't a you know, like a definite answer, then like let them come up with it. And they came up with some really creative stuff that I wouldn't have even thought of. Yeah, I'm already getting some like cool, weird ideas. Like, since you have to deal with the limitation, but you also have the advantage of technology at your disposal. Mm-hmm. If you got the right stuff, you can start doing like, here guys, here's a puzzle. Here's here's like some you gotta go Wikipedia some stuff. You gotta go look at like here here's a cipher that you guys have to break. Exactly. Here, here's like a little mini game that one guy has to play. It's like you gotta play um freaking snake on these like predetermined levels mm-hmm. and based on your score will determine certain things that happens. Like this entire like quasi active role that you would have while using the technology that you have at your disposal. Um what with you what you're saying you did was is sounds great, but I'm like the the levels in which you can take this could be really cool if given enough time and expertise. Absolutely. And I did actually work very briefly at an escape room and got to kind of learn mm-hmm. not just how to reset an escape room and how to design one, but to see the behind the scenes controls about what to flip and when. And some of the ones that I saw were very high tech and complicated it was like running a soundboard uh hmm. b- you know backstage but others were like 
you, you didn't have to really do anything except be there if they, unless, you know, they needed a hint. No. Um, so, yeah, I definitely have learned a lot that way, too. And some people, I've learned that some players like to take it to that level, and I just empower them to do it. Uh, for Chariot Beta, the second uh, run we did, um, it was Laurie Rich who participated and Laurie decided to do a voting system. And I was like, I'm not writing a voting system. I was like, but if you want to do that, go for it. So we had a whole voting system in that run implemented. And she had it, like, weighted and, like, I don't know, all sorts of stuff. It was, like, a, a legit voting system. And people took, like, a Google poll to, like, vote on things. Yeah. And obviously, since she wrote it, her character had unfair advantage and won all the elections. She <laughs> always course. got her way. <laughs> of course. Of course. It was it was really cool. Uh, we had another player, um, Corey, who I think it was one of his first LARPs, actually, was Chariot. And he, he went the whole, like, hacker route on Chariot and whipped up some stuff, like, last minute and really improved it. And um, it actually it ended up kind of being similar to what a couple, couple of the players, including Scott, did for Cyberpunk. Um, only, like, a little bit more low-tech and just, like, more last minute, but very awesome. Like, he made a whole... He was basically playing a second character mm. called Rogue Mistress and, like, logged in as that other character on the chat channel, and he got permission for me to do it, but, like, he was pretty much, like, playing two characters at once, and we had to discover that his character was, in fact, also... Rogue mm-hmm. Mistress, also the hacker, and that was really fun. Yeah, so, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, just empowering players to do it is the best way. So, so uh, in your games, do you uh, do you primarily write the characters for them, like American Freeform style, or do is there any games that you run where people make their own characters? Usually, I'm writing the characters for them, but I also like to do a character survey for my LARPs. So, I'll ask what kind of themes they want to play. Do they want to play a serious character or a lighthearted character? Do they have any general ideas? Stuff like that. And I use the same kind of basic questions for everyone, but then I tailor those questions to the subject matter. Okay. That's interesting. Um, do, you, do you think that there would... Do you see any room for a style, a style of play where people make their own characters in this space? Yeah, so uh, one of my LARP friends, her name is Jody Lee, she has done, like, five digital LARPs with me, and I GM for her at Dragon Thrones in person, so we're real comfortable with each other, and usually she will have an idea once she reads what the LARP is, so she'll just, like, send me her character... I'll add in some extra things, like, here are some secrets or abilities that you might have. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've learned that other freeform games um, and and some of the Destination LARPs have also gone in that direction. Like, if you want to write your own, just send it in. Uh, New World Magiscola was not like that at all during Run 1. Mm-hmm. And now that, you know, it's been running for a few years, especially with a lot of people who've played the LARP before... They are very open to you just sending in a character that you want to play, mm. and they'll just approve it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it reminds me of some of the early stuff that me and Scott, when we were much younger, would 
because for a while we talked, we uh, sort of were in the same circles of people, but we actually hadn't really met that often. Uh, they had sort of a survey system where they'd give three, give them three adjectives, and they would pull off a few characters for us to based on those adjectives what we wanted to play, mm-hmm. and then we'd pick a character from there. Yeah. yeah, the other character generation system that I've done with a small group in person is using archetype cards, which are similar to tarot cards. Oh, neat. So I would actually, like, do a reading for them or ask them to pick what cards speak to them, and I would just do a past, present, future for the character based upon those cards. And then I would... But instead of just telling them, I would say, oh, this card shows... uh, You've pulled the death card. This shows that in the present you need to let something go. What is it that your character needs to leave behind? Mm, that's, so, that's so it's really cool. very collaborative, but it's also very much like doing a real tarot reading where I'm really not telling them anything. I'm just empowering them to figure it out for themselves. No, uh, I, for one, in tabletop or LARP, I actually really love the idea of using cards to either resolve the situation or um, make your character, especially make your character because I'm a big Deadlands fan. And just the idea of like, oh, I had to pull X number of tarot cards, and that dictates certain aspects of my character, both maybe mechanically, but more like, but also personality-wise, like things mm-hmm. in your character's life, things you have to decide on that you weren't expecting that you had to decide on. Yeah, and as someone who's been LARPing for more than a decade, I'm trying to, as a player, also expand to play different archetypes that I haven't before, and so relying on those techniques and those cards... Mm-hmm. Has been helping me a lot to to get there. No, too. but it's it's a cool idea. I'm I'm gonna start thinking about that too. I think I like that idea because uh, a while back, um, my wife was working on an adventure for D and D, and one of the things she wanted to do was like, "Hey, I'm gonna run this." And I was like, "Oh, that's really cool. I'm gonna we got something for Christmas that was like, here, go through this entire questionnaire, uh, like, but randomly roll, and these are all like your character's life events mm-hmm. and different random things. It's like." Okay, I'm gonna do this, and I'm like, I'm gonna play this character because the the trajectory of the character was very weird and unexpected, but very like engaging. So yeah, yeah, and I I even like the idea, and I'm not really much of like a DM. I'm not really like you know somebody who runs a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. But one thing that would be cool would be when you're playing an NPC. Uh, sure, you have like your character sheet with your stats and stuff, but. To determine their personality, just pull some of those archetype cards mm-hmm. and like, or even have the players pull them and be like, mm-hmm. great, this is the bartender you've met. You just pulled, you know, uh, the child cards. So they're, they're going to act, you know, kind of like a little kid and you're going to have to deal with them with that in mind. Oh my God. Like that's that. such a great cool. idea. I know, yeah, that'd I, be fun. Oh man. That's a great idea. I got to remember to do that. I'd probably mm-hmm. I'd probably use a deck of playing cards just because they're a little easier to get get a hold of. Mm-hmm. But man, that sounds like a fantastic idea. I yeah, and if you do use archetype cards, uh, if you look it up on like Amazon, just look up archetype cards. There's a deck in, that comes in a red box, and the author's name is Carolyn Miss M Y S S. All right, I'll put a link. That's I'll awesome. put a link in the description. Um, awesome. We're actually getting getting a little long in the tooth, so let's uh, wrap it up here. Um, what is the next game that you're going to be running? And I will absolutely make sure to to pip it out and have a link in the description for everyone, so you they can uh, come find your work. Thank you. I will be running Lore, which is the live online Raptor experience, <laughs> which you can find at geekinitiative.com and then just click on the LARPs menu. Okay. 
And I will also be GMing at Dragon Thrones. I will be directed cast at Damrong LARP as well. Cool. Very cool. Uh, I'll make sure to link all of that in the show notes. Uh, now, if people want to contact you directly, do you have a, a, a you're in marketing, so you probably have a social presence. Um, so uh, where, where do people, people like if they want to contact you, where can they do that? Sure. Facebook.com slash chariot LARP. Okay. Not, all right. one word. Cool. Yep. Very cool. Great. Great. Yeah. Tara has been, a uh, big thank you for coming on the show. We definitely appreciate it. Um, thank you. I learned a lot of cool new things today. Um, I, I online LARPing has never been a thing I ever thought about, and I'm like, this is intriguing. There's a lot of room here that I wasn't expecting there to be room because you can do it from home. Who doesn't want to do stuff directly from home? I've GM'd these from a car, yeah, so, <laughs> as, as a passenger, but from the car. Yeah. I mean. I, I mean, I love my chair, yeah. so... I mean. I, trust me, I'm getting older. I don't want to do out, go out and do much. I still like LARPing in person and gaming in person, but I can definitely see a lot of the appeal of LARPing uh, and sort of using the the confinement of, yes. of the yeah. digital space to sort of accentuate everything that you're actually trying and to do. And supplemental, too. It's, it's a great between-game action mm-hmm. option yeah. as well. Yep. And very much so. So we're going to get on out of here. Thank you very much, Tara, again. Scott, great. Thank you very much as always. Mm -hmm. Um, And all right. See everyone later. Bye-bye. Thank you. Scott, I learned a hell of a lot. I know you did. I learned some, too, but not as much as you because you weren't there at the game. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, uh, I guess I learned the about the friends along the way, as it were. You did, indeed. <laughs> and, and Ryan still knows nothing. I, I just thought they were inside me the whole time. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Yeah, like I said, Tara was a great inter- interviewee. Um, yeah, so uh, we hope to have her back when she's doing more stuff. I hope to. I kind of want to look more into. Oh, we need to tell our good friend uh, about the Raptor Raptor game. Oh yeah, we can, we can talk to him about that in Patreon content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be super rad. Um, so that's all from us for this week. So from me, everyone here at Polyhedron. Go where your fun is. Roll some dice. Hey, Matthew here. I just wanted to let you know, if you want to get feedback to Polyhedron, you can go to polyhedronpodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to the show's Twitter handle at polyhedroncast. Uh, if you'd really like to help us out, you can go to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash polyhedron. Uh, give us a buck a month and become one of our bosses and really support the show. And if you're looking to get in touch with us on Twitter, you can find Matthew at BioImportance. You can find Scott at DivisMallCav. And you can find Ryan at Arduous. You want to spell it? R-J-U-O-U-S. And finally, just so we can wrap it up here, if you are listening to this on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere, give us a five-star review. It really helps our exposure. All right. Thanks, guys.